preached in this service, so we get the opportunity now to listen to God's Word, which is another way that God reveals Himself to us and exposes His blessings and pours them out on us. So I'd like to invite you to turn to John chapter 10. So we're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then John chapter 10, starting with verse 1. We're actually launching into a new series this morning, but it actually builds on the ground that we've been covering. We've been talking about the cross and what was accomplished for us on the cross and looking really carefully at that. And now this next series is kind of like an application. Since Jesus has done this on the cross for us, how does that impact us? How does that shape or form our lives? How does that bring abundant life? So that's what we're going to be looking at in the next, uh, for the next month. And we're going to start by looking at these uh, familiar verses for many from John chapter 10. John 10, starting with verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is God's word and it's true and we can rely on it. The author Annie Dillard says, How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And this little quotation has challenged me. I really got my attention because it makes me wonder am I spending my days wisely? How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Have you ever asked that question? Are you spending your days wisely? Or maybe have you ever asked it this way? Am I spending my days so that they lead to an abundant life? If we step back for a moment, most of us would admit that we spend many of our days in a whirlwind of activity. We are busy people, and we wear the fact that we are busy as kind of a badge of honor. Look how busy we are. Even if this busyness is often frustrating and usually leaves us exhausted, we still stay busy. After living a while in the whirlwind, we kind of come to this conclusion, there's never enough time. We actually sent out a little survey on the Cedar Hills Church app, and we asked the question, where do you find the most scarcity with relationships, money, or time? And the answers came back, almost, two, almost twice as many people said, I'm scarce with time. We experience a scarcity or a lack of minutes and hours and days. 
which is interesting because how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Do we spend our lives in a mindset of scarcity? I have never enough. There's never enough. And now I'm not just talking about time, but I am also thinking about the other things in our lives, the scarcity maybe of money or resources or opportunity or relationships or even love. When's the last time you said, oh, I have more than enough money? Or when's the last time you said, oh, I have more than enough love? I don't need any more love. Thank you. I'm good. The mindset of scarcity says things more like, if I only had more. And sometimes we kind of hide it a little bit. We say, if I only had just a little more, then I'd be better off. A mindset of scarcity says never enough. And I was fascinated this week when I came across some research that described how this kind of uh, mindset impacts us. Scarcity actually makes us view the item that we lack as being more valuable or more precious, more important, more significant, more in demand, the more attractive it becomes to us. And then we also have kind of a heightened fear that says, I'm not going to be able to get enough of that. This is kind of how marketing works, by the way, in many cases. So I'm online looking for tickets for a flight to Florida, and as I'm Googling this, the thing says, only two seats left. So immediately I feel this heightened pressure to go, I better get these seats now because I don't want to get stuck in Cedar Rapids in January. I want to go to Florida. Scarcity mindset kind of resets our thinking. It kind of impacts how we live. It distracts and distorts our perception of things and the, and the value of things. This is how scarcity impacts us. I'm always interested in how they can demonstrate this, and there was an interesting exper- experiment called the cookie experiment. And here's how the cookie experiment works. The researchers took two cookie jars, and one jar of cookies was filled to the brim with cookies, and the other cookie jar only had a couple cookies. So the participants in this research project had to come and sample cookies from both jars and then determine which jar contained the better cookie. What do you think they concluded? Yeah, the jar that's almost empty had the better cookie, obviously. Even though the cookies were identical, the perception of scarcity made them think, I got to have that cookie in the jar that's almost empty. This is how scarcity impacts us. I was curious about this experiment. I wonder if it would work that way with peas or spinach. <laughs> a plate with just one pea, is that a better deal? than that? Maybe that's a whole other experiment. I don't know. Thinking about the scarcity mindset and how it impacts, I have this definition. We already got the definition in the children's sermon, but this is the definition I'm using. Scarcity is not enough. Anytime I feel like I don't have enough, then I feel like there's, there's scarcity there. Um, Brene Brown, have any of you read any of her stuff? She does some really good work on scarcity, actually. And she has a book called Daring Greatly, and she describes what happens when we live with this kind of scarcity mindset. This is what she says. When we have a scarcity mindset, we spend an inordinate amount of time calculating how much we have, want, and don't have, and how much everyone else has, needs, and wants. 
We are often comparing our lives, our marriages, our families, our communities to unattainable versions of perfection, or we're holding up our reality against a fictional account of how great everyone else has it. This feeling of scarcity is a big lie that we have bought into. It is this innate fear that rests deep inside of us, whispering to our subconscious mind that we simply don't have enough. So when we have this scarcity mindset of not enough, did you hear what she says that results in? It actually results in this. It results in fear. If I'm afraid that there's not enough to go around, or if I'm worried that you have something I don't have and it's better, then I become fearful and i got to have it. This fear of not enough is something that I can actually relate to quite a bit, if I'm honest about things. Now, on the outside, if you look at me, you might think that I have it all together. I've got a wonderful life, a wonderful wife, a great marriage, nice family, great friends, beautiful home, good health, a stable income. I live with pretty much security and and comfort, right? And if you ask me how things are going, I'm going to answer, great. My life is great. And I mean it. My life is great. Most of the time. And yet... Sometimes there's this underlying anxiety, a fear. I'm not sure I can even put my finger on it exactly. I'm doing the best I can, but I need to do a little more. I need to do a little better. Not enough. Brene Brown invites people to finish this sentence, never blank enough. And she's found that it only takes a few seconds for most people to fill in the blanks with whatever is the most important thing to them. Never strong enough, never thin enough, never powerful enough, never successful enough, never smart enough, never certain enough, never wealthy enough, never safe enough, never time enough, never good enough. This is the scarcity mindset exposed that many of us wrestle with all the time. And we don't even question these feelings. We don't question this. Just like, well, if I just had a little more, fill in the blank, then I'd be happy. This is why Jesus gets my attention in John 10.10 when he says this, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Did he just say abundance? That sounds like a very different mindset than scarcity. And there's a little backstory going on here that might help us explore exactly what he means by this abundance mindset. In John 10, Jesus is talking to a group of people who believed that by doing more good, they could earn God's blessing. If they would just follow all the rules that they had designed for themselves, then they would be right with God. And getting themselves right with God would increase God's blessing. Do more good, get more blessing. This was their mindset. And they went around telling other people, you should do more good. And they were telling them exactly how they should do that good, and they spelled it out in great detail. So they were trying to do good things and telling other people to do good things. Could there possibly be anything wrong with this mindset? Jesus had something very interesting to say to these do-gooders. He had a name for them. He called them Blind thieves. That doesn't sound very nice to people who are just trying to be good, does it? 
Well, they were blind because they did not see this truth. The God that they worshipped is a God who wants to bless people. He's a God who desires to pour out His blessing. He's a God who desires to lavish His blessing on people. This is the God that they worship. They did not recognize that. That this God actually seems to be fascinated by pouring out His blessing on people who are extraordinarily unworthy to receive His blessing. And yet He keeps pouring it out upon them. This is such good news about a God who delights in His people, who loves His people, who longs to bless His people. But these blind thieves did not see that. They thought they had to do more. We have to do something to measure up. We do not do enough to deserve God's goodness, so here's a list of things you can do to earn it. That's also what made them thieves, because instead of letting people enter into God's blessing and enjoy this, they actually added this burden to people. They added a weight. They stole the blessing, or they stole the delight of that blessing, so that the people had to keep working harder and harder in order to earn this thing. They could never earn it created quite a burden. They created scarcity where there actually was abundance. Jesus was so disgusted by this mindset that at one point he said to these blind thieves, you know what, it would be better if you would just tie a heavy weight around your neck and jump into the ocean. It'd be better for you than to continue to perpetuate this blind thieving Jesus had some other things. The, the, most, the, the harshest chapter in the Bible, I think, from this perspective would be Matthew 23, where there's seven different woes that are spelled out to these blind thieves. I'll just read a couple. He said to them in verse, 20, in verse 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you blind thieves! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. This is what they were doing. Instead of letting people enter into the abundant blessing that God was offering, they slammed the door. Verse 25, woe to you, blind thieves. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and selfish indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, blind thieves. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to be good, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. No matter how hard they worked to clean themselves, they could never do enough. And they dressed themselves up to look good in appearance, but on the inside, they were clean. There was no way to get clean apart from Jesus. And this was the very blessing that God wanted to give them in Jesus, and they refused to see it. They were blind to it. They never did enough to earn the abundant life that Jesus wanted to just give to them. That's the scarcity mindset. I always need to do more. I find it kind of fascinating when a modern thinker will confirm what Scripture teaches. And so it kind of geeked me out this week when I was reading about some psychological experiments that confirmed the burden that's created with a scarcity mindset. Psychologists have discovered that a scarcity mindset results in mental fatigue and overload. And in part, this is derived by an unhealthy obsession for the thing that we lack, we become fixated on, I need to get the thing I don't have. And so I put all of my energy, and it actually impedes my ability to cope and make good choices. It increases our drive to get the thing I don't have. We work harder and harder and harder, and we don't get the thing we want the most. 
This is a scarcity mindset. And it's an insane kind of circle. Not enough leads to fear. Fear leads to trying harder to get even just a little more of the thing I don't have. And I realize that I don't get enough and I have to go right back into that same circle and do more. There's only one way out of this circle, and that is abundance. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So I like this definition of abundance, more than enough. And if you're looking at the words in John 10 that describe this, you'll recognize that the word is actually like super abundant or exceedingly abundant or more than you can have. It's this, it's this, we don't really have a good word to translate this. It's like this excessive amount of stuff that comes. Some versions translate that abundant. Some just simply say life to the full. What is life to the full? Again, I think there's some clues in our passage here. And if you go back and look at John 9 and 10, most people take this section as one big section. In John chapter 9, the story is about the man who was born blind. Remember the story? The disciples encounter this man. He's blind. And the disciples, instead of showing compassion, they kind of enter into this theological dialogue and they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Who's the one who caused this? You can almost see Jesus rolling his eyes and hear him sigh as he says, okay, neither the man's sin or the parent's sin caused this. This is not about scarcity. This is about abundance. This man is blind so that I can show you God's blessing, so that you can see an outpouring of God's blessing in this man's life. And it becomes clear that this story is about abundance when he is brought before them and Jesus heals him. Once I was blind, now I can see. This man experiences an abundant life. And right after that, he goes and he shows himself to the Pharisees, these blind thieves. And you would think, well, they might be elated by this, right? Or maybe at least a little bit delighted. The man who was blind from birth can now see this is a great thing. But the blind thieves are angry. They're mad at the guy because he can see. And they're mad at Jesus because he helped him to see. Because their mentality is one of scarcity. You know what? This happened on the Sabbath. You broke one of our rules. You're not good enough. They miss the abundant blessing that God pours out into this man's life because they have a a scarcity mindset. The reason you, the one way you can recognize when the abundance is present is that the response is not burden, but delight. We begin to see the thing that God wants to accomplish leads to night. Jesus says in this John 10 passage, all who enter by me will be saved. You know, I'm the gate. Come on in and you'll be saved. And he has this picture of leading them into this pasture, this abundant place of flourishing. It raised a question for me as I was reading this. If I see salvation primarily as negative or from a scarcity mindset, do I see salvation primarily as erasing my sin and my failure? This is a very common picture of salvation. Salvation rescues us from the hole we've dug by our disobedience. And so God forgives us and uh, picks us up out of the hole and kind of sets us back on even ground. But if this is all it is, then we're kind of starting back at zero and we're actually still not good enough. And as good a thing as forgiveness is, and it's wonderful, but if we only understand it as bringing us up out of the hole, that's not enough because Jesus is talking about abundance. Not just life, but life abundant. And so he's talking about God's desire to give us not just forgiveness, but to give us every good thing in Christ. To give us the very goodness of Christ. 
so that we might have life and have it abundant. Jesus gives abundant life, life that is full. He forgives us from our sins, and he gives us his goodness. He makes us good enough. He gives us enough and more than enough. And this brings delight and not burden. This is abundant life. And if this is the case, then salvation and abundant life seem to be highly situational and very specific to each of our contexts, our needs. For the blind man, salvation and abundant life is sight. For the single parent, it might be companionship and help. For the bullied teenager, it might be acceptance and an advocate. For the poor, it might be dignity and the chance to determine their future. For the retiree, it might be involvement in something worthwhile and meaningful. For the addict, it might be freedom. For the lonely, companionship. For the grieving, comfort. For the sick, healing. For the sinful, forgiveness. These are all components of the abundant life that Jesus says. I have come to give you life abundantly. So my big question at the end here is, what steals our delight? And it seems to me that one of the biggest thieves for many in our world today is time. We run ourselves ragged because we feel like we never have enough time. If Jesus is offering abundant life, it seems like it has to actually impact every area of life, and maybe it should impact the most important areas of our life. Maybe it should impact the most problematic areas of our life, right? If this is going to be abundant, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What if we spent our days living abundantly related to our marriage? related to how we parent, related to our finances, related to our self-worth or our life's purpose or our time? What would it look like if we had abundance in all these areas? And I'd love to dig deeply into each of these subjects, and that's what we're going to do for the next four Sundays. This morning, I only wanted to give you the opportunity to come and consider your mindset. Do you have a mindset of scarcity or a mindset of abundance? I think that mindset makes all the difference because Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for these moments that you've given to us. Thank you for meeting us in this place. We ask that your Holy Spirit would continue the good work of shaping us and molding us to be your people. And we will be careful to give you all the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.